Kevin. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Runtime Rundown, the show where we read the web dev news so that you don't have to. Evan Cooper, how are you doing this week? That was a good one. Uh, Joe Boyle, front ender. I'm also a front ender, if you don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing, <laughs> I am doing well. Um, let's see. My grass is growing great. Oh, nice. Nice. You know, I'm just going to hit a couple things. My, my grass is growing great. Uh, I am re reconsidering not making espresso at home because Daniel commented that it's not that hard. So if if Dan can if Dan can do it he's he's a very chill guy I feel like he wouldn't get into like something super crazy so if Dan can do it maybe I'll do it also I got another new mechanical keyboard because I have a problem um, <laughs> and it's my first one hundred percent full size keyboard it oh, is humongous wow, wow. Evan yeah. is holding that up and it's taking up his entire screen it also weighs like twenty pounds uh, wow. And it is awesome. I've been working on my Alfred workflows and I've got a bunch of key mappings for it. That's really fun because I have yes. I have a whole number pad used here, heretofore <laughs> unused part of a keyboard. Uh, uh, I love the number pad. I, I, if I have I an, I like sometimes I choose the keyboards for the number pad specifically. I, I love that number pad. Here's the some, other. Go ahead. Uh, there's something that makes me feel like a 1980s accountant when I use a number pad. I'm yeah, like, you get to put I'm, your green visor on. Exactly. I'm like. <laughs> yes. It's great. Um, so another side benefit of this, Joe, and I think you're going to love this. Most keyboards are 60% width because they don't have the number pad and the arrows are like built in and stuff. Because this thing is so freaking long, it's basically like an entire ship. Uh, I have to, my hand has to travel a decent distance to get to my mouse, which is starting mm. to make me think this is really annoying. And I thought, Hmm, I wonder what hmm. I should do about this problem. Hmm. And my first thought was <laughs> learn FIM because then there I never need to use my stupid mouse. So this is pushing me because of how annoying it is to move my hand an extra, you know, half a foot. Uh, and I'm a late, like apparently a full lazy developer now. I think I might learn Vim just to make that easier to justify my keyboard. And Great. I'm going to tell you why. The, the single reason is this keyboard has a light up feature that when you touch a key, it pulses a light from that key through the Ooh. whole keyboard. Oh, that's nice. So in the dark, I go, and I feel like <laughs> I'm a wizard. It's amazing. So I might learn Vim just because I want to be a wizard in code in the dark. That is great. Uh, yeah, you should definitely learn Vim. I was just talking to somebody about Vim Adventures or VimAdventure.com. That was like, that's like a fun little, little game yeah, for learning that's, Vim. That's where I was going to start. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What's um, new with you? What's new with me? Let's see. So we got some shout outs. I'm going to jump into the shout outs. We were talking about doing it, doing a shout out uh, a little bit later in the show. I think we should jump right into it. Um, sure. Shout out to to Dan for, for leaving a comment to Mr. Typing Turtle. And then we also got actually a couple a, comments. Dan yeah. A couple, a couple comments. Yeah. Yep. Always a good, good commenter. And we got another comment from uh, Mike. So this is from uh, Mike. Let's see. What's Mike's last initial? His name? Mike C. Mike C. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Mike, thank you for the comment. Uh, Mike's comment was about the the show uh, that we did a couple or last week, The Massive Flaw in Our Industry. And I think we said something about like uh, the, that mechanical engineering doesn't get the bloat that software engineering does. And 
you know, he, he left this great comedy. He went to go talk about how he is a uh, an industrial designer uh, who is looking to make a transition into web development, which is fantastic. Um, but talking about how like when you're designing uh physical things there's like nowhere to hide the bloat so like the bloat doesn't a lot of times like doesn't uh doesn't show up like it does with software development because you can basically hide whatever you want in the implementation um but one of the things that got me thinking about is like i do this a lot i think where i kind of like talk about well it's probably not like that in this other industry that i have zero experience in so i'm i I thought the same thing yeah I was it, like, this doesn't happen in mechanical engineering. It's like, <laughs> I have never been a mechanical engineer yeah. one single day in my life. My yep. dad was, but it's like, did I ever ask poignant questions to get that answer? No, I did not. Could I? I could. Did I? No. It's uh, yeah. just completely talking <laughs> out of my ass. <laughs> um, well, thank but, you, Mike C., for the, for the comment. I will say, uh, it's not a suggestion. You left it in the suggestions. It's not a oh, suggestion. I would you love... I would Joe. love a suggestion from Mike because I was like, oh, we got a suggestion. But anyway, thank okay, you. Yeah, sure. We, what we need is just like a is like a, a, a comment. Well, we do. You could comment on the episode. But regardless, Mike. Just I had uh, to get that little dig in there. I know you did. You always <laughs> had to get the dig in. Uh, good luck on your journey. So Mike is, uh, you know, trying to get into web dev. You got into web dev from a field that was not web dev or Correct. computer science. So did I. It's definitely possible. Keep at it. Uh, and tell your friends if you know anybody else that's getting new to web dev to listen to Runtime Rundown. That's right. Uh, I think that'll do it for for me this week. Uh, what are you reading this week, Evan? It's good to have the sound effects back. That was a tough yeah. week last week. They give yep. me life. Um, okay. So I am reading an article called Thoughts from Meet Safari for Spatial Computing, which was a, uh, a talk by Apple. So this is Jim Nielsen's blog. Uh, he is you know, commenting basically in a short form blog post about an Apple speech where they're talking about Safari for um, the, the new Apple device. What, what is it called? Uh, Apple Vision Pro or something like that? Yeah. Yep. If you haven't heard of the Apple Vision Pro, I don't know where you've been. It's pretty much <laughs> been everywhere. People have been groaning about it. It's a $3,500 thing that you put on your face that somehow like terrifies Yeah, it's You terrifying. can see your eyes through it, which is super weird. And then people, when you video call on it, see not your face, but like an AI generation version of your face to further dehumanize us. Um, <laughs> if you haven't watched the videos, which I... I think Apple believed were promotional, but looked to me as a dystopian future would. Uh, <laughs> go watch it. There's a guy, a dad playing with his two kids while he's wearing the Vision Pro and can't yeah. even see his own children, but oh. is instead <laughs> recording the instance uh, to further watch by himself uh, the video of his kids <laughs> playing. <laughs> Anyways, I'm off track. Uh, okay, so this article is is sort of like a quick a quick hit about how Safari or WebKit rather works on Vision OS because uh, you know you have iOS for your Apple phones and such. You've got Vision OS for this crazy new goggle system. Uh, and how does Safari, which is Apple's browser of choice, work? And the crazy part is it's like, if you did it right, it just works, uh, which is really cool. So there's a couple little things we can talk a little bit about some of the details. But I think why we picked this, probably both of us why we picked it, is that 
it's really fascinating that um, doing the basics right in a web development format it allows people to build on those standards, and the building on those standards can be something that the the original creator of those standards, in this case, like HTML, could never have envisioned. Uh, I think that's that's really cool. So we can get into it, but that's sort of TLDR is that Vision OS has Safari for a web browser, and you can go to websites with an you know an AR VR headset, and they just work. Like you can extend them. Well, if you did it right, so we should get into that. But like that, the whole premise of this is that you can look at a website and stretch it to the entirety of your house. Like, you know that there is no limit to the space and time uh, where we've developed a lot of these websites with significant size constraint in mind. Uh, and if you, but if you did it right, you don't have to. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. The, the, there's a few things that I thought of right off the bat. You know, the main point he makes is like, just keep doing what responsive web design and access accessibility expert have advocated for years. And like, you know, I think I, I kind of take for granted the whole responsive design thing. Cause it's been around for like most of the time I've been in this industry, but, uh, you know, I, I think back to a time when I, before I was in the industry, when I was interacting with the web, you know, responsive design wasn't a thing. And like for, for the longest time, you'd go to like Wikipedia and it would even up until a few years ago, you go to Wikipedia on your phone and it was the web version of Wikipedia and the letters were tiny and like, it was not, you know, it was just, uh, I- impossible. And so the, it, it's just cool that the res- responsiveness goes the other way too. I think that maybe to me was the first thing that occurred to me. It's like, you think of responsive design and you think of the difference between uh, a desktop, which is like sort of the original version and mobile, which is the newer, although no longer, no longer new version. But then you think about VR and it's going the other way. It's like, it's like blowing way out where it's like you said, it's going to the edges of as big as you want. And so there, there are a couple, couple of points he makes like, uh, that, that made me think about how the people that designed the web, whether they knew it or not, like just did such a good job of preparing for so many different future cases. Like the first thing he mentions is uh, there is a, a pointer, um, uh, like a, a pointer media feature. So you can use like pointer fine. So pointer has either coarse or fine. And when you use pointer fine, that means like you're using a mouse. And when you use pointer coarse, that means you're using up until now it had been touched, but now it includes gesture input for, for the new vision OS. And that's just, it's, I don't know. It makes me think about my own design choices and, and thinking about how do you hit that sweet spot between too generic and too specific. Cause they could have, instead of pointer course and pointer find, they could have said pointer mouse and pointer touch, but like, it's just kind of cool that that uh, like the new one just works beca- because they had the foresight to say, well, there may be some other uh, some other pointers that fit into this to, to these broader categories. Yeah, it's like um, and I wonder how they came up with this, because it's my guess is through hope what I would assume is looking at a lot of potential cases, because what this feels like we talk about this all the time, the, the wrong abstraction uh, or the right abstraction. Like if you, if you made, uh, the pointers, it's, you know, CSS, basically it's a, um, uh, a CSS property, right? I think it's, is what pointers. Yeah. CSS media feature yeah. rather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so <clears throat> if you had just said like, you know, when I you know, make this spec in 2010 or something like that, what's available to me, it's like, uh, I, I have a mouse and I've got, uh, 
you know, my finger on a phone and that could have done like mouse and finger, you know, or you can spend a bunch of time with it and say, how are people interacting with this? And you could say like, well, I have high fidelity input devices, like a mouse or even um, an Awake-O ta- a Wacom tablet with a, a pen, you know, that's mm-hmm. a super fine input, like very fine motor control, or even go into the accessibility realm. You can have, uh, you know, basically like joystick-like devices that people can operate with, you know, non-traditional means, maybe like, a, you know, the mouth or chain or something like that. Those are also pointer devices that are potentially um, coarse because they might not be, uh, you might not be able to do super fine motor movements. So you look at like the broad spectrum of po- possible input devices, and then you make the right abstraction, which is, uh, is this coarse or is this fine? It, coarse or fine, meaning like, you know, fine pointing is I can go pixel perfect basically with the with my input device or coarse yep. is like I can get close. And and what what kind of behavior do you want to derive based on that activity? It's like course means do I get near and I hover something or I highlight something or I click something, uh, and it just makes it easier for the user. So I think they it seems like they went through those options and picked the right abstraction, which is thinking about the level of how close basically you're going to get with an attempt to do something, mm-hmm. and then they named it that way, which is super smart, and then it makes it super easy because with Vision OS you're looking at stuff. Like yeah. how fine, how fine can they judge where your eyes are looking in space? Yeah. And that's kind of coarse. Whereas if you're using a device that literally points something at a pixel, it's like that's super fine. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Speaking of pixels, that gets us right into the next, the next uh, topics that, that this person covers, um, which is like the sizing of things. And uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, it's not very surprising. I don't think that the web went to more towards vector graphics, especially when uh, responsiveness kind of came into in, into play because that becomes really important. Like you, you, the ability to size graphics up and down depending on uh, the size of the of the device or the container and have those uh, have those graphics not lose fidelity. Like that's that's the difference between vector and raster graphics. If you look at like a photograph, that would be raster. So it's like the pixels are kind of baked into it. Vectors are the image is defined by curves and and lines and it's defined by points. So like vector graphics, you can scale them infinitely up and down and and they don't, they remain sharp. Um, And this was something coming from like my background in, in illustration and animation. Mm. I had a lot of experience with just vector versus versus raster and all that stuff. But um, so it's, it's just cool that the, that SVGs um, which are typically vector uh, are, are able to like just, they, they just work, you know, capital letters just work in the virtual, uh, the vision OS environment because, um, because they can just scale, keep scaling up and they just keep staying sharp. Uh, and then kind of a, the related point is like, what I- even is a pixel when you're looking at it, at something in front of your face? It's like pixels are relevant when you're looking at a, whatever it is, a, a 12 by nine screen, which has a sp- a number of defined pixels and like of course the the vision uh vision pro has pixels in the uh in the monitors or whatever that are being blasted into your eyes but <laughs> the, but you know when, when something is 
virtual in, in a virtual space in front of you, the pixels, I think at that point sort of lose meaning. And, yeah. <clears> there's a differential because it's yeah. like the pixel projected to your eye. Is, so there's a, there's two small screens obviously, or like whatever, I think the stereoscopic screens, I don't really know how it works. I'm not a scientist, but you've got <laughs> pixels in your eyes. Let's say there's 10,000 well, pixels. About, we, we, we've never let not being experts right, in something stop Let's say definitive <laughs> things about science. Uh, anyway, so, but this, this is like, this can just make sense, right? So you've got an image, uh, say a projector screen, right? So you've got um, like old school overhead projectors. You can take a perfectly pixel dense image and an overhead projector and it, you hold it up to yourself and it's you like look at it in front of your face without the projector, it looks great. The image is crisp. You put in the projector and if the projector is too far away from the wall, because yes, the pixels are there on the image itself, but there's a distance between the like the projecting image and the thing it's projected on. So those pixels essentially scale the distance away from you that they are. So with an Apple Vision device, it's like yes, on your eye the pixel is correct, but it's it's sort of somehow magically sciency projecting it to a distant space. So then those pixels that lose their meaning because pixels are like you said defined as like literally the red, green, blue, whatever diode in my screen and the amount of mm -hmm. that I get in my screen. And yeah. as you move away from the screen, you know, maybe your eyesight's not good, but the screen itself remains high fidelity. This is a different image. This is a whole different bag of tricks because like your eye, you know, the, the further away that screen is quote unquote in space in your vision headset, the less fidelity the image has. So when you look at like, yeah, vector graphics, SVGs, responsive images, media queries, all this stuff is like, now think about the smallest screen and think about a monster screen. Um, but all the same technology supports both, which is really yeah. cool. What no yeah. one probably thought about, does my website work in 55,000 pixels? So right. we think about, you know, like 3,200 pixels, right? Is maybe a big screen, 4,000. Yeah. Uh, when you're thinking about like, you know, 4,000 by 1300 or whatever your dimensions are. What if it was like 50,000? Yeah. What would happen? Is your 1200 right. pixel gutter still going to work? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? And that's like, that's exactly what, what, uh, the next point is about the, about not using pixel, uh, uh, pixel uh, bah, 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 units. So like instead of using pixel units, use we and we I think the whole industry has been moving towards like EM and REM, which are relative, uh, you know, relative units. So that's like, uh, yeah, just they, they, it's uh, it's I th whenever I use pixels in CSS, I feel weird about it. You know, if I'm using like a media query or something that's like, I, I feel like sometimes there's it is the right choice, but I'm always questioning myself when I'm using it. I'm like, is this really the best, you know, whatever, this breakpoint or whatever? I don't know. Now I feel like we're Shop Talk Show. <laughs> well, let's, hey, I love Shop Talk Show. There'd be, there's worse things in the world than to be Shop Talk Show. <laughs> um, yeah, thinking about media queries, uh, media queries I think are okay as pixels. Um, because like you're, you're basically deciding as an as a developer this is what I expect to look like at this specific size. So, you know, you can do that with testing. You can say, I like min width media queries. And you mm -hmm. say, you know, below this width, it's going to look like this. And then hit the min width and now it scales up um, and, and go from there. I think it's okay to do media queries as pixels, but the underlying uh, 
core of your product should not be in pixels. So if I'm saying how, how tall is my font or something like that, I right. want my font, uh, ver- first off, use variable fonts. And then I want my font to be dynamic based on, you know, if I'm like pinch to zooming or unzooming my screen, that should also scale with it. Uh, the size of your elements potentially should be relative as well uh, to, to the size of the screen. Like all that stuff can go up. But I think your media queries are okay to still be pixel based. All right. Got the Evan Cooper seal of approval. That that feels good. Yeah, like what's uh, the alternative? That <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. actually I'm not actually sure what you do there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could use uh, like M, but that feels that also feels weird. It's like I M guess it's still a, goes off the base typography size. Right? Yeah, so you, right. Yeah, so so you define like what is my what is my base line height, my base type, uh, my base black paragraph text height, and then M scale off of that. So then like your media queries would be relative. Mm-hmm. That feels like a tough ask for me. It feels weird. Yeah. 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 Uh, and maybe they're like that. Yeah. There's a blind spot. Yeah. I'm going to have a, what are you learning? And we're going to get, I know. That. Well, now it's uh, getting me curious about like how it works with the, with the vision OS. Like what, what's that media query look like in terms of like uh pixel, you know, what, what pixel above 50,000 pixels use, <laughs> you know, use font size six or whatever. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they even say that, like, what does it mean to go full screen in the world of yeah. VR? Uh, because it could be like far larger than the reported screen size. Um, but yeah, so I, I want to get into hover. Mm-hmm. So there, there are no hover effects in vision OS in Safari. And this gets really interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get hover if you have a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard like plugged into it. My guess is that's not going to be the common case for Vision OS users, just like browsing around. Because then why not just use the screen, you crazy person? Um, <laughs> so Safari ignores hover rules in Vision OS. What it does is it makes its own um, to 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 like work with the fact that you're looking at something, not hovering it with your you know, mouse or your finger or something like that. So it basically creates its own hover effect on top of your website for you to do like a gentle highlighting. They have an example of this. You look at a box with an image in it and it kind of like colors it a little bit differently and lifts it out. Has nothing to do with the code that the developer wrote. And then you wonder like, how did you do, how do you do that? And it's that they, they rely on markup. They rely on the markup of your website and like, oh no, like crazy thought um, <laughs> that based on should this, should something be an interactive region, AKA an HTML widget, AKA like an active element. So your buttons, your links, your menus, your input fields, form elements, text areas, uh, elements with equivalent, equivalent ARIA roles, which is if you're thinking you know, good, better, best, best case is that you actually are using a button and not a div roll button. Please don't right. do that. That's what I, that's what I um, use. I use div. Roll yeah. Yeah. Div roll button, button because it's better. divs are it's better. so much more flexible. Yeah. Um, don't do this. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and then like worst case is sort of elements with a CSS cursor pointer, uh, which, you know, you should get cursor pointer out of the box if you have an interactive HTML element, but if you're doing some wild stuff or, you know, kind of unique things, um, you can use that, right? But it then takes that cue from your markup, which is super cool. So I don't know how or when this is happening, but they're looking at, you know, you, you use your eyes, you look at a section of the website, it says, what's the underlying markup of that section? 
And should I do something about that? And I think that's super cool. And it also, well, I'll stop there because I want to give you the chance to get involved. This just is exciting to me. Yeah, I, I think it's cool too. There's there's one piece of this that I thought was a little bit like strange and I can only imagine will improve over time, but like it's good for sure that they that they take cues from the semantic markup to decide what elements to show this sort of subtle highlight but it it sounds like they don't let you hook into that as a they don't let designers hook into that so like if i wanted to design what the subtle highlight looked like or if i wanted to make it not subtle you know if i wanted to actually give like a specific hover effect it sounds like that's not possible at least not right now so i can only imagine that would be coming and they will they will have some sort of API into that, just like a little bit surprising with uh, that they don't that they don't just like use hover, I guess, and that but that that they still have a hover, uh, you know, the idea of hover, but it's but it's uh, sort of Safari's own uh, implementation. I just thought that was a little funny. Yeah, I I haven't looked through the docs for Vision OS or anything like that. I I wonder. Uh, there's probably going to be an experimental flag in WebKit that, or like a, mm -hmm. a WebKit specific flag. Again, remember though, this is only going to be for Safari. Uh, I don't, you know, Mac's never going to put Chrome right. on your vision, your vision <laughs> OS. The only way that Safari continues to exist in this world is because Apple just continues to put it on their stuff. It's not <laughs> well, and well, I guess it isn't Safari, but I was gonna say, and Bun. I mean, Bun is written in uh, what's it called? The, uh, the I can't remember the the engine that they use, but instead of WebKit? um, in, it, uh, is it WebKit? No, I think it, I thought it was a different one. Anyway, um, uh, the the it's you know it's not the same. It's not the V eight engine. It's it's the uh, whatever the one. Chrome oh, uses Gecko that I can't remember. or something like no, yeah, not something. Chrome. Uh, Chrome uses V eight, right? Yeah, I'm uh, sorry, not Chrome. Uh, Safari, whatever the one Safari is. So yeah, Chrome uses V8. Um, Node uses WebKit. V8. Safari uses WebKit, but I thought that the I thought that the the engine. I'll have to look this up. But yeah, anyway. look, look it up. I'll I'll, I'll cover a, su a subject. Um, I do think they will give that option in Safari to probably make like cool hover effect, whatever. Um, although I'm not sure where it would live. Maybe it's like on the HTML. Uh, because uh, they they've got to be reading your style sheets, but yeah, unless yeah, so like I'm I'm sure you'll be able to do this, yeah. but why this is cool? Uh, first off, it's built on web standards. Go Apple, that's really cool because they could have done some stupid. We're gonna do the cool new thing in Safari, <laughs> yeah, and then you get to like totally custom that. implementation, like, yeah. right? Like they and that yep. that nobody would have batted an eyelash at it because right. like that's happened since time immemorial. People are like oh, I gotta build something new uh, because you know they want a promotion or some crap. Uh, Mando, I have a story for you when we go off air about that exact <laughs> topic. Uh, <laughs> man, Whew. so anyways. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. They could have built Sorry, something listeners. that new. <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered a conversation I had today and I got to tell Joe about it. Um, <laughs> anyways, they could have built something new, but they didn't. They said, I'm going to rely on what is interactive and HTML tells you that if you do it right, which is getting yeah. us back to the web was originally accessible and then we, we broke it. Uh, HTML was originally accessible. Uh, and then it, it still is. We just break it with JavaScript, right? Yeah. Uh, and by making you know, so, div with a roll button. 
yeah, instead of Joe just special. using a button. Yeah, the Joe, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they call, call it. We just call it the Joe. Um, <laughs> but what's cool about that is that the Vision OS could then essentially become, and they call this out, a QA tool for finding inaccessible experiences. Because <laughs> like, yeah. if, if you're looking at a form and it doesn't hover in your Vision OS, you go like, uh-oh. It's, <laughs> it's a live QA tool. Um, and this is starting to bring up thoughts in my head about like using Vision OS to be able to, you know, as a, vis- how, how do I make a sighted user sort of feel the experience more of an unsighted user? And I wonder mm. if Vision OS, well, we can be able to, look. What, what, what if we could build some tooling on top of this thing to point out even more issues in our, in our website to like live look at code, live look at issues. It's already going to expose non-interactive elements that are hiding as interactive elements for, for folks that are sighted. Uh, what else could we do with it? And that, yeah. I thought that was super cool. All predicated on if you wrote your HTML right, and if you didn't F it up with JavaScript, and right. you, you write your CSS correctly, like, you know, you've got good MIDI queries in there. You've got your, uh, your scalable images. You've got vector graphics. If you do all the, the basics correct, then this is going to work great for you. And and you're going to have a differentiated experience for the five people that are able to buy this product. Um, and maybe <laughs> it's more over time if the price comes down, but that's pretty cool. Uh, now, if you don't know the basics, this is maybe, this is maybe a rallying cry to learn them because yeah. it's too easy. If you've gotten in the last few years and you came in as a react dev and stuff, which is fine, that no shade on that at all because it does a lot of stuff for you and you don't have Mm -hmm. to necessarily learn some of these fundamentals. Um, This is a rallying cry to sort of go back and say like, okay, now that I'm in, I'm going to go like go back to my HTML and CSS courses and learn semantic HTML and like learn what it takes to make a good accessible experience because don't count on JavaScript framework developers to know the right thing to do. Go look at react Tooltip, which is the most important, like it's the, this is just sorry, triggering me, but go look at React Tooltip. It's like the most widely used thousands of GitHub stars uh, tooltip. It's inaccessible. <laughs> D- don't count on people to do the right thing. Uh, yep. Learn it for yourself. Yeah. 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 There's like a, <clears throat> a sentence down towards the end of this that jumped out at me and I was like, oh, that's a good, it's a good reminder. Uh, it's 2023. And would you look at that? Semantic accessible HTML is still as important as ever. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's cool to how, like, there does seem to be this, this movement back to HTML. Not, I was just going to say back, but like, it's almost like, um, you, you could, I could have seen it going the other, the other direction where like you start out with this, with this, uh, this system in HTML, you're like just the idea of HTML when they were first coming up with the web and coming with which with HTML, they designed it with accessibility in mind. And I could see, uh, I could see a situation where we move farther and farther away from that yeah, um, as yeah. we lean more, more into JavaScript and more into JavaScript frameworks. So it is cool to see many things sort of like bringing us back to that that fundamental like it's not just vision os it's what we've talked about before like uh remix i would say is the is the the one that sort of like uh has gotten the most attention but like these frameworks are now moving back to hey like start from the fundamentals and don't just start with javascript speaking of starting with javascript the 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 javascript engine that i would couldn't remember starts with javascript it's called javascript core so that was the nice. uh, okay yeah, cool, cool, that's cool. the, the, the yeah. bun one um yeah so so uh yeah i think that's that's it that's like it was a cool little little article um 
I had, it reminded me of one thing or when we were talking uh, sort of a side note about the vision pro that I thought was really interesting is uh, I read this, that, you know, it tracks your eyes obviously, and it's very good at tracking your eyes. Part of the way that they keep it from uh, being super resource intensive, I'm sure it's very resource intensive, but part of how they keep it from being super duper resource intensive is they use your eye tracking to, um, to, uh, like lower the resolution that, that is being displayed outside of your immediate vision. So like when we look around, uh, the world, whatever we're directly looking at, it of course needs to be like super focused, but it very quickly outside of that range, it, it trails off. So like, if you look around, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to look at the plant and I can see those leaves are like super crisp. But what you're not really thinking about is how five inches outside of that, like stuff just starts to blur and you're not really, it doesn't need to be super sharp. So I thought that was like kind of an interesting way that they, they, you yeah. know, it's like an interesting little engineering trick to, uh, to cut down on, on, um, uh, resources that they use. It reminds me of like doom and John Carmack and like the, the people who came up with these ways of, of, uh, of like, you know, you don't need to render certain things. And so just like act as if they don't exist from the computer's point of view. Yeah, that's super cool. And like, I've, I have if you could tell my tone about the vision OS, uh, and like, you know, vision pro is a little tongue in cheek because I think, you know, oh my God, it's $3,500 by the way, <laughs> yeah. you didn't know that. Um, and I, so I've, I've joked a little bit about it. It's, you know, again, a monument to engineering, right? Like Apple does it. Apple does crazy stuff. Um, this is super cool. I think it's a, you know, I have thoughts about it, but regardless of my thoughts, it's still a monument to engineering. Super cool. Uh, the hand gestures, the whole thing, it's just, you know, I hope it doesn't catch on for reasons because I don't want to see a bunch of people walking around with stupid things on their heads. Um, (laughs) But like in terms of the technology, maybe it helps move us forward uh, a little bit more. This is sort of like just a wrap up thought is the standards for HTML and CSS take a lot longer to come around. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we've seen is people get annoyed with speed and then JavaScript is just like the cool uncle and the specs move a lot faster. Um, So (laughs) we're we're able to do stuff, right? We We do a lot more things in JavaScript. So we pushed into that. And then over time, like, you know, the fundamentals are still important with HTML and, HTML and CSS. And they, they they take from the JavaScript world and eventually pull them in over a long time. Because what I love about the uh, the organization that handles, I forget, uh, we don't need to get into it, just yell at me in the, in the uh, issue comment. <laughs> the organization that handles the HTML spec understands the assignment. If you do the wrong thing, with with HTML, like you do the wrong thing for a hundred years, <laughs> like it's it's going to be yeah. wrong for a really long time, um, and it has to be that the core of the web. If you didn't do anything with JavaScript, that if you wrote it with HTML, that it should be accessible by default, and that's a really high bar to meet. So it's it's just cool that yeah, that bar continues to hold true, um, and like they're working on stuff. Like they're, they're, we have the popover coming soon a new HTML popover component and the CSS anchor spec is going to wipe away millions of lines of JavaScript from the internet. If people were to just cut over to them, we could instantaneously erase like a billion lines of JS mm-hmm. for writing, everybody rewriting stupid hover effects for tooltips and popover components. Like it just eliminates them with 10 lines of code. So 
it's cool. They are pulling it back and it just takes time because it's such a high bar to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for the article. Uh, you get any, you get any questions for me? I feel like I'm always, always the one asking you questions. You are always asking me and I'm sick of it. It's the Joe Inquisition. Joe, what are you learning? What are you learning? Oh, what am I learning this week? I think we both have stuff that's regex related. You were telling Ooh. me before the show you had a regex something you were learning. I actually, uh, we were also talking about this other thing. I'll, we'll do a, a quick. I'll do a quick twofer. Though, uh, oh, I was, I was, I was telling you something before the show, and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I won't even mention this on the show. But then you're like, oh, save it. I started started saying it. So I was listening to the Work Life podcast, uh, which is uh, which is uh, by this guy Adam Grant. He's written a couple books, and he had. Um, he had James Clear on who wrote the book Atomic Habits that you and I both really like. And uh, one of the things that uh, that Adam Grant said was he said they're talking about these atomic habits. And, and James Clear's whole point is that like these habits that you build should be small. And, and the, the thing that makes them powerful is when all of these small pieces come together. Like there's no single one of them that that like does the trick. But Adam Grant's like question or he said you know b- before he kind of like got that he was like uh he was like as a i think he, his background is in psychology he says as a, as a psychologist i want to know like what's the active ingredient and like it was just kind of an interesting way to for me to to like shift my thinking which is that there is no active ingredient when you're dealing with a bunch of small habits that all build up towards this very powerful force in your life it's like each individual i i guess if there is like a an active ingredient it is the combination of these small habits there's no one habit that's going to like make the whole thing work it's like they just slowly build up and it's a it's very like in a way underwhelming but uh but like it is whelming it is overwhelming you know can be overwhelming how 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 much they can they can actually uh you know affect your life so anyway that was like a little little tidbit um do you want to, res- do you have any like response to that or should I jump right into the regex stuff? Uh, I don't, that's pretty like, I don't know, vanilla advice, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, another way to say that is, uh, continuous improvement. Another way to say that is like, you know, good habits pay off. It just seems like pretty warm milk to me. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, obviously you put a bunch and of good habits together that- and then it's like good. Right, right. And I think that is kind of the point. It's like it is vanilla. And it's like so vanilla that I think a lot of times it can get overlooked because people are looking for Ah, the secret sauce. People are looking for Ah, the spice. Yeah. Yeah. So I take that for granted. It's um you know, having read Atomic Habits now many like at this point, five or six years ago, I think is started down that road. And you know, you ebb and flow with it, right? Um, Yeah. And and right now I'm ebbing ebbing. Mm-hmm. waning not waxing in my habits and good good yep. life behaviors just because that that happens sometimes um but you take it for granted that it's like you understand that it's incremental improvement pays off um so i i kind of think i take that for granted and don't think about that as like a revolutionary concept but i think it is always good to get refreshed on that to remember like oh you know what i have to get back to these foundational habits that um that are effective and may not feel like they're doing anything in the moment, but you know, it's one of those things you walk one step a day and then you look back 30 days later and you've gotten a distance. Yeah. That was absolutely. a bad metaphor, but yeah. 
think it's a great metaphor. <laughs> um, what's your regex <laughs> thing? <laughs> it's literally so. Joe, once every like two months, I'm confronted <laughs> with a problem that has to be solved with a regex. Yep. And I and and, like and, and, and in the the sixty days. 59 days between the last time it happened and this time, I completely brain dump everything about regexes along the way. So mm-hmm. I feel like regex, I feel like an, I'm an amnesiac when it comes to regexes. It's like, I, you know, they ever watched that movie Memento. I need to like draw regex <laughs> stuff on my yeah. arms so that I remember <laughs> it. Uh, it's weird because I, it's not, nothing else in my life is like that where I just completely forget mm-hmm. in between. Cause I, I look at regex and, and I think I look at regexes as a failure. Regular expressions to me are a failure. It is the, it is an unbelievably obtuse API. Like who is good at regexes? I just imagine them being weird people. Uh, you know, I like I don't know who gets good at regexes. So what I have to do every fifty nine days is go to like regextester.com or regex one hundred one yep. every single the, time, every like, time, and from yeah. the ground up. <laughs> build the regex and like what does this do what does this do <laughs> so this like ended up being a series of complex regexes basically to do like sentiment analysis on um uh, you know on a sentence you know on words that like people can type in uh, to a, a large text area and then based on the sentiment analysis do stuff and um, it's like looking for specific phrases and then some things are like variable phrases but need to be in specific orders and it's just like holy sh- this was super complicated. Uh, like, so that was it. It was many hours writing regexes. And you know what I find helpful though? And this is my one pro tip. Go write a massive jest case, an it dot each mm-hmm. case, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, start with that. Start with everything that you want to be true and a bunch of permutations that you want to be false. Yeah. And put that in an it dot each. And then just start firing off your regexes until yep. those things go green and then do more after that. But that to me is like, that's how I hunt and peck regexes is I just make a massive test case uh, that fails all red to start. And like bit by bit, I go, Ooh, it's green. That one turned green. And <laughs> you know, I'm talking like 40 things I'll put in there, like every possible permutation. Um, so that was, that's my experience with the regexes this week. Nice. Uh, I think we're going to get, People who are cringing the entire time we're talking about because they say regex and hearing the word regex is going to. Oh, yeah. It's like, like gif gif. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. we're also going to get a bunch of people who me even just saying that uh, is like nails on a chalkboard. The regex. Regex. Uh, yeah. Regex. Regex. <laughs> Evan's shaking his, shaking his head. It sounds gross. <laughs> regex. Yep. Uh, if you okay. if you hate us saying either version of those, go leave a comment. Go leave a yeah. suggestion. Say, uh, yeah. be like Mike C. Go leave a suggestion that That's says right. <laughs> that says, don't say either of those words ever again on this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Joe, right. what are you learning about? Are you learning about reg reg x's? Yeah, it's not really a learning, but like you said, re- you said reg x, and uh, made me think. Now I'm all self conscious about the word. Uh, it made me think of this thing that that I found a couple days ago. That was it's really fun, and I wanted to share it with uh, our listeners. Uh, it was on Hacker News. It's this website called uh, Neil Fun N E A L Neil Fun. That's this person's uh, website slash uh, password dash game. So it's like this password game. Might just be slash password, but uh, it's it's you, you are confronted with a a blank 
enter your password screen. It says create a password. So you type a word and then it says like, you know, get it. Once you start typing, it gives you like, oh, it must be five letters. So you get like a little red box. It says it has to be at least five characters long. So you make it five characters. And you get another red box pop up and it says it needs at least one number. And you put a number in and you get another and you just keep getting these red boxes and they keep getting more and more ridiculous. So like I started go, I started like, I was like, okay, I'll give this a, a day in court or whatever you, whatever you say. And so I started going along with it. And, you know, at one point it's like, oh, the numbers have to add up to 25. So like, okay, now I'm going to make my numbers add up to 25. And then it's like, now you need a leap year in there. And so you put a leap year, but then your numbers don't add up to 25. And so it gets more and more like that. It's like things are more and more internally connected. There's a thing where you have to, uh, you have to add you have to put a, a Roman numeral and then your Roman numerals have to multiply to 35, but then you have to add periodic table elements that add to 200. And if any of those have a Roman numeral in, in them, you're, you're like, um, and it just gets wild. And there was like, amazing. yeah, it's, it's geoguessr related too. There's one that's like, enter the name of this country and you're, it's a geoguessr. It's like the Google street view and you got to like figure out what country you're in. Um, it's, wow. uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I, uh, I did not make it to the end and I went to, I went to look at the hacker news thread and I, I got pretty close, but I was like, I'm glad I didn't <laughs> continue going down that path. Cause it looked like it get, uh, get a little bit more than I would want to put time into. Uh, so that's my, that's that, oh, so cool. it, it reminded me of regex. Cause it, I, I was sure that this, that whoever created this thing did it with a bunch of regexes. Oh my gosh! What an incredible series of regexes that would have been. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for what are we learning? And now we're at the cool part of the episode. That's right. Where we sail away and the good news cruise. I accident, accidentally hit the infinity button. There's like on these little sound effects, there's an infinity button, which I think is going to loop it. And I almost accidentally looped your foghorn, but I didn't do it. I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't be <laughs> mad. Uh, okay, so you went first in the what are you learning? Uh, so I'll go first in my good news. All right. Uh, this is sort of weird good news, but I, I liked it. So Sweden is apparently trying to build an entire city borough out of wood. Uh, like high-rise buildings completely out of wood wow. to sort of show the world what is possible, quote unquote. So they have a, uh, there's a construction company in Stockholm and they're going to build a whole city borough, like 25 blocks of Stockholm. They're going to expand uh, 30 mass timber buildings. So 7,000 offices, 2,000 homes with construction slated to begin in 2025. First buildings to be completed in 2027. Completely out of wood, uh, not concrete and steel. Uh, and why they're doing this is uh, steel and concrete are really bad carbon emitters. So you, you know the the amount of energy that it takes and the amount of uh, like CO two emissions basically from uh, like you know, steel, uh, steel production and, uh, other things like other parts of traditional high rise construction are very, very bad for the environment. Uh, and they have created a process to do cross laminated timber, basically, uh, where they call it mass timber, where you can get, I guess this was invented a while ago, but I think they perfected it 
where you can get like seven story buildings with just wood, uh, which is super cool. So, you know, right now it's just drawings, but I love this idea that it's, you know, and there's like in the drawings, there's plants all over the buildings and they just look warm and beautiful where uh, concrete and steel buildings are inherently sort of lifeless and cold. Uh, no, you know, whatever the, we need them, but this is super cool too. Um, and they think it's going to maybe potentially it's very sustainable too. Um, you know, you can regrow wood, iron ore, it comes out of the ground and we're not really making much more iron ore that I know of. Again, not a scientist, but uh, you know, at least the wood <laughs> well, is maybe you because I'm not <laughs> Joe's over there just <laughs> producing magma. Um, uh, but anyway, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I look forward to when this podcast has been going on for at that point, uh, what five years when we see the first building go up in Stockholm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's it. Feels very Swedish to me. It feels very yes, uh, IKEA <laughs> sponsored it looks by like IKEA. IKEA. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that's cool. I like. I I want to see that. I want to see the. Uh, I want to see the picture there. Um, nice. My good news is uh about e-bikes so uh in and it's local so in massachusetts uh in 2022 there was a legislature that included one million dollars in the transportation bond bill to establish e-bike rebates in massachusetts so like basically e-bike subsidies um uh people who buy an e-bike could get a rebate of uh up to five hundred dollars uh for electric bicycles and up to seven hundred fifty dollars for low and moderate income uh consumers and um that's cool like it it was actually like i couldn't find the article that i had originally sort of like found this article from but there the there's more good news to this somewhere that isn't is now lost to time but i will i will (laughs) i will say say what i remember of it which it was basically that like uh when these e-bike subsidies come into uh come into being oh and by the way like uh, mass in 23 2023 we don't have the money yet, but they're talking about trying to get it in 2024. Uh, but when these e-bike subsidies come into play, it has like a pretty massive uh, uh, impact on the amount of uh, car traffic in cities and the amount of mobility for lower income people. Because uh, like when they get these these subsidies, it, it makes them it makes the choice between uh, like a car or uh, like maybe a like a bus a monthly bus pass or something and an e-bike it makes that choice a lot a lot uh, easier and like e-bikes are much easier for people to get around on than than regular bikes depending on your your situation um, it just sounds like it has like a massive uh, uh, positive impact on um, cars in cities so I was happy to see that that Massachusetts is making progress on an e-bike subsidy way to go mass that's pretty cool yep. Well, we did it again. We we tried to go for a short episode. We we're here sitting here at fifty minutes and forty five seconds, uh, but that's all right. We had fun. We had fun. That's under an hour. Um, yeah, it's under an hour. Yeah. So now we're into the show. Thank you, dear listeners, uh, for making it this far. If you have, go leave us a review if you don't mind on Apple or Spotify, or like just tell a friend. Say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast. It's all right. They're annoying. They say regex wrong. Um, <laughs> You know, just let people know. Uh, we really appreciate it. And go to runtimerundown.com and you can go to each episode and leave comments right there via utterances, or you can go to runtimerundown.com slash suggestions and leave us a suggestion. Um, you know, we listen and we'll shout you out. We'll talk to you. You know, we love talking to people about 
this stuff. That's why we talk to each other about it. Uh, so yeah, get involved. Come talk to us. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you very much for, for tuning in this week. Um, we will see you again next week. I'm going to go look at pictures of a city made of wood. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. I'll see you next week. <laughs>